Chapter Twenty Four of That Affair at Portstead Manor by Gladys Edson Locke. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Sporting Baronet. On that hurried journey to London, Mr. Clavering rode in the compartment with Lady Ursula. You knew, Julian, she said, and I must have someone go with me. It was an unpleasant journey. Lady Ursula did not speak from the time she boarded the train, but sat motionless in her corner of the compartment, glooming out over the flying landscape. She did not rouse herself until the deep, multitudinous roar of the monster city they were plunging into made itself heard above the noises of the train. "'London!' she exclaimed with sharply drawn breath. She was among the first to alight from the train, but Mercedes Quero was already waiting on the platform. She had ridden in the carriage behind. "'We had best take a taxicab,' she said to Lady Ursula, in a voice which had in it a ring of pity. "'We have some distance to go.' "'Very well,' responded Lady Ursula dully. "'We will take a taxicab.' Mercedes Quero, with business-like celerity, engaged the cab, Mr. Clavering appearing somewhat stupefied. In obedience to her injunction, the chauffeur made what speed he could amid the stream of traffic. At every halt, the detective visibly chafed. Suddenly, Lady Ursula spoke. "'Is he really dying?' "'Yes,' answered the detective gently. "'I am afraid we may be too late.' A shudder racked Lady Ursula. "'Is it the bullet-wound?' "'Yes. Blood poisoning has developed rapidly from exposure and neglect.' "'He is not fit to die.' said Lady Ursula, a dry sob escaping her. But Elena should not be blamed. She was doing only what she believed her duty, protecting Mavis. He would have taken the child away. He had tried before. Mr. Clavering was too bewildered by all that had happened, and all that he felt was still to happen, to remind Lady Ursula that only a few days before she had affected to disbelieve the existence of Elena. She was now speaking as though Mavis and Elena had long been paramount issues in her life. He found it impossible to collect and analyze the doubts and suspicions that whirled through his head. He understood only that Mavis Travers stood in some close relation to Sir Julian Travers, toward whose deathbed they were hastening, and that Lady Ursula knew, and had long known, and was somehow connected with them both. The taxicab was winding now among the slums of the East End, mean houses, mean streets, swarming with children and noisy with the balls of the costermongers. A strange setting, mused Mr. Clavering, for the last scene in the life of Sir Julian Travers, scion of an ancient family. He noticed that a second cab appeared to be following theirs through the devious mazes of the East End, and he wondered if it could possibly contain Burton. The taxicab stopped finally before a block of lodging-house buildings, where was a beer shop at the corner, bolstered up by a group of rough-looking men. Lady Ursula hurriedly alighted, and with white face and lips set tight, followed Mercedes Quero into the grimy house, stale with the reek of cooking food. Mr. Clavering, hastening after, stumbled over a couple of exceedingly dirty children playing in the doorway, and felt his whole being revolt at the ill-odorous surroundings he was again forced into. Mercedes Quero pushed up the stairs through more children, and a knot of tousled, unkempt women, gaping at the elegant lady in mourning who followed, and led the way into a wretched, disordered room. On the bed a man lay, tossing restlessly and muttering. The district nurse, a middle-aged woman with a sad, motherly face, 
came from the bedside and spoke to the detective. "'Dr. Blair has just gone. He can do nothing more. It is only a question of minutes.' With a wondering and pitying look at Lady Ursula, who was steadying herself against the door, the nurse went softly from the room. Mr. Clavering plucked Lady Ursula by the sleeve. "'I I don't think I would go in,' he said nervously. "'This is hardly the place for you.' "'Why not?' bitterly. "'Have you not guessed what Julian Travers is to me? He is my husband.' "'Your husband?' he echoed blankly. "'My husband,' she repeated without emotion. "'Should you not say my place was with him?' At the sound of her voice the dying man hurled himself up from the bed. "'Ursula, you came! I didn't think you would!' Lady Ursula's bitterness melted at the sight of the pitiful wreck before her. She went over to the bed and, slipping an arm about Travers' thin shoulders, eased him down upon the pillow. "'I am sorry, Julian.' The glazing eyes stared up at her resentfully. "'No, you're not.' why can't you be honest this is a lucky release for you for years i have been a millstone around your neck you told me so yourself i am sorry lady ursula repeated smoothing back the damp black hair very sorry for you for us both there was a world of compassion in her tone with his little remaining strength travers pushed her away cut that rot he bade in his hard gasping voice i haven't lived like a saint and i'm not going to die like one i didn't send for you to hear a deathbed repentance or to preach one hang me if i know why i did send for you you've no love for me and god knows you've no reason to have you won't water my grave with your tears and i don't ask you to meldrum will console you the leer on the face of the dying man was ghastly lady ursula turned away that she might not see it when Travers spoke again, it was with greater difficulty, but his old bitter bravado stood by him on the very threshold of death. "'I shan't lay any injunctions on my sorrowing widow, but there's something I'll ask you. Mavis, she's a rum little filly. I like her. Don't let her know much about me. There's no need.' They were his last words. Lady Ursula fell on her knees by the bedside, sobbing. Mercedes Quero stepped softly to the door and beckoned to someone down the hall. A moment later, a big blond man came quietly in. "'Ursula,' said the kind voice of Meldrum. She rose from her knees in slow wonder. "'Ursula,' went on the kind voice, "'let me take you home. He is at rest now.' Meldrum passed his arm about her, and she clung to him, sobbing as though the pent-up anguish of years had at last found vent. "'Ah, Wilford, the pity of that wasted life!' "'He is at rest,' Meldrum repeated with infinite compassion, and gently drew her from the room. End of chapter 24